So kids, why do your parents discipline you? Anybody know why? You don't have to shout. I'm not going to actually call in anybody, but, but I just want you to be thinking about it. I saw some disappointed uh, heads right there. You, just be thinking about why do your kids, or sorry, why do your parents discipline you? Think about that because it's not fun for you, right? Does any, I'm just curious. Do any kids like to be disciplined? Like, yes, mom and dad, I just love it when you discipline me. <laughs> no, that's right. That's right. Thank you very much. No. And uh, what about parents? Do you love to discipline your kid? Are you like, man, the thing I live for, I wake up in the morning and I'm like, oh, I can't wait to discipline my kids today. Anybody like that? No. You hate disciplining your kids too, right? Because let's face it, it's way easier to let your kids get away with stuff than to discipline them. To discipline them means that you actually have to follow through. You have to actually do stuff. You have to engage. Man, it's so much easier to like turn on the TV or look at your phone and just totally ignore your kid. That is for a while, right? And then eventually things blow up. But we discipline our kids because, not because we love to, not because we love to torture them, but because we love them and we, want that we know the outcome of what life will be like if they're not disciplined. If they, if they learn to disobey, we know a certain outcome is waiting for them. But if we can teach them to be obedient, to obey God and to obey wisdom, then life will turn out another way. And so it's like, you know, when your kid is running towards the street and you see oncoming traffic, what are you doing? You're yelling like, stop, don't run into the street. You're going to get hit by a car. And if your kid is obedient, what do they do? They stop, and you have just saved their life or, or saved them from a whole bunch of pain. But if you haven't taught your kid how to be obedient, and you see them running out, and you're yelling, stop, what do they do? They just keep running and eventually get hit by a car and end up either dead or in a life full of pain. And so we know that to discipline our kids so that they obey and they know how to listen, is better than their disobedience where they get hit by a car. And there's so many other situations like that, right? We know that that's why we discipline, to teach our kids to obey, because it's better to obey, even though it's tough in the moment of discipline. It's better to learn to obey than to head towards a busy road. And God is doing the same thing. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it feels like God is just being a big meanie head. Why does God do this to me? But God disciplines to shape us. God disciplines because he knows the end result of rebellion is eternity without him. And so it's like a kid running to, the sh to a busy road and he's yelling at us, Stop! You don't know what you're getting into! Eternity without God is going to be absolutely miserable. You don't understand, so stop and obey. Turn and repent. And if we're wise, we will heed his instruction. But that's what his discipline is all about. And that's what we're going to study today as we continue our walk through the book of Revelation, chapter 9. So turn with me, if you will, to chapter 9. If you remember, the revelation is broken into four visions. The first vision is seven letters to seven different churches. 
And so these seven letters go out, and uh, then we get into the second vision. The second vision starts off with John being pulled into the throne room of heaven, and he sees the glory of God, and he witnesses as, as multitudes worship God. And then, then he starts to open up these seals, and these seals bring about the depravity of man. So this restrainer that's, that's restraining our evilness and our wickedness gets lifted. And so the true wickedness and evilness of man is revealed, and that it results in a, a quarter of humanity's death. And then the trumpets begin to blow. Well, before that, there's an interlude, and we get pulled further into uh, the saints and the multitudes in heaven worshiping God. And then the seventh seal is broken, and that's where we introduce the, the trumpets. The trumpets unleash God's judgment on humanity. The first four trumpets all show that God is bringing about a supernatural event. No one could, could, could say this was a natural occurring thing. It was a supernatural event to bring about repentance, to show that God is in control. And then an eagle cries out with three woes. These woes are warnings, and it's going to be the next three trumpets. Each trumpet blast is a woe. Woe meaning a terrible thing, a terrible event that is going to occur. So the next three trumpets, as if the, the first four trumpets weren't horrible enough, the next three trumpets will be absolutely devastating. And that's where we pick up. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only these, those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them, and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like woman's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the nose of their, noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails that sting like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troop was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number, and this is how I saw the horses in my vision, those who rode them, they wore breastplates, the color of fire and sapphire and sulfur, 
and the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, by no means of them, sorry, and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent. And the works of their hand of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols, of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders and their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Wow, what a day to have the kids in, right? Sorry if, if any of you guys have nightmares tonight. That's, that's a crazy statement. But, what's, but we'll talk about it and hopefully we'll clear some things up. All right, so we're, we're, the fifth trumpet has blown. And this is the first of the three woes, right? So the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. Now, there's a little bit of debate about what this star is. We, we know because of, of the terms used, in, in the last or the first four trumpets, we saw stars that were like meteorites, or maybe a meteorite, maybe one was an actual star. And so there's a little bit of debate, but this we can tell is an angel or some kind of being, and we can tell it's a being by the way that they use uh, nouns to describe him, he, right? So it, it is a being. Now, there's a little bit of debate about what this being is or who this being is. Some think it's a demon. Some think it's Satan, and there's some ties between this and Isaiah. I don't necessarily think it's these. I think that this is an angel who is given authority, and the reason why I think this is because this being was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit is uh, literally the abyss, and it was first referred to as like the, the uh, depths of the ocean or the depths of the sea. And eventually it just came to mean like this deep place that, that is so deep it's unknown how deep it is. And this is the place where demons are uh, like a special evil set of demons are being kept until this day, until this hour. So there are particular demons now. Uh, throughout Jesus' ministry we saw him uh, run into demons and there were demonic influences and still to this day there are demonic influences in lives but these demons are are kept aside for this special purpose so god has has imprisoned them in the abyss we're not sure where the abyss is we're not entirely sure we don't have a ton of information about the abyss other than it's not hell and it's not the grave it's a special place reserved for demons so that's where these guys are. Now, the reason why I don't think this can be Satan or a demon is because he's given the key. So uh, why would you give Satan the key to the place where his demonic forces are being held? I, don't, I, I just don't think that makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, some people think it does. I don't think it does. Though we're not given exactly who the star, fall, fallen star is, this uh, angelic being, there is debate there. I think it's probably an angel that God has given authority to based on that. That's just my opinion. All right, so he's given this key to the, to the abyss, and what does he do? He opens the shaft of the bottomless pit, or the abyss, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. So in this abyss where these demonic beings are being held, he finally opens 
the, the door or the, the, the cell, the prison, and out rises smoke. Now, this smoke is ominous. It's letting the world, it's letting humanity know that something horrible is coming. It's like an uh-oh moment. Have you ever had an uh-oh moment where you were doing something and you weren't thinking a whole lot about it, and then all of a sudden you realized that what you were doing was not going to end well, but you were way too into it, way too far down the line to do anything about it? This happens to me all the time with mountain biking. I try to have less and less of these as I get older, but have you ever been riding your bike and you like take a big jump or you get into like some type of, uh, of situation with your bike where you're like, uh-oh. When I'm jump, when I, I can remember this time I got some big air and I'm up in the air and I'm like, this is way too big, uh-oh. But there's nothing I can do. It's gonna be a crash landing. Uh-oh. This is kind of that uh-oh moment. And it's an uh-oh moment because this, this smoke is going to fill the entire earth and so much so that the sun and the air are darkened. So think about back in last January when we had all those fires and there was all this smoke and, you, and like it was like there was a cloud over us all the time. And I don't know about you, but in our house we didn't open our windows because the smoke would get into our house, and so all day long we'd just be breathing smoke. Think about that, but you know the nice thing about that was we could drive just a little ways and get out of the smoke. This is going to cover the entire world. There's no place you can drive to get out of the smoke. Everyone will know that something huge is happening, just like the first four trumpets where they were where it happened in such a way that no one could say, well, this is a naturally occurring event. No, it happened in such a way that they could only point towards something supernatural. That's what's happening here with the smoke. The world is going to say, uh-oh, something crazy is going on. So he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then, the, then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were giving power like the power of scorpions on the earth. So the, out of this smoke comes locusts. Around here, there is a difference between grasshoppers and locusts. Uh, there is a little bit of a difference. Uh, gra locusts are, sorry, I should say grasshoppers turn into locusts. Locusts can actually fly further than grasshoppers can, and it happens when uh, the, the uh, environment is right that the larvae of grasshoppers turn into locusts, and locusts are much more destructive. And so locusts were known for going from, you know, when, there was, when the environment was right, locusts would develop, and they would go around and they would absolutely wipe out anything that was green. Any type of vegetation, they would wipe out. That would cause famine. But these were given power like scorpion, and they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree. But here's what they are going to harm. Though only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So if you remember all the way back in chapter 5, the saints cry out, God, when will you, when will you bring justice? When will you... Uh, put judgment on those who have killed us. And God said, wait until the number has been sealed, until the number is complete of those that I need to seal. And then we see 
in the interlude that there, are a, that there are a special amount that gets sealed by God, that God puts his special seal upon them. Well, those people are not going to be harmed by these locusts. So God is doing something special here, and it's actually, it, it looks a lot like the plagues of Egypt. So if you remember during the plagues of Egypt, all these different plagues were, to, were an attack from Yahweh on these fake gods to reveal that Yahweh is the one true God. And as he would attack all of these Egyptian gods, none of the Israelites suffered from the plagues. And it was another way that God was showing, hey, the God of the Israelites is the one true God. Turn from worshiping those false gods and worship the one true God. That's the exact same thing that's happening here. Whoever has been sealed by Christ, or I should say been sealed by God, will not be affected by these locusts. And it's a God using a microphone to the world to say, hey, wake up. If you wonder why these people aren't being affected, it's because they've turned towards God, they've repented, and God has sealed them. If you're wondering why you're the one who's suffering from these locusts, it's because you still are worshiping other gods. You're still not repenting. You still haven't turned towards the one true God. And that's the point of this trumpet blast. They were allowed to torment them for five months. So they're going to harm these people, and they're going to torment them for five months, but not kill them. And this, once again, is God restraining. So it's a demonic force that's been unleashed on earth. Those locusts are a, a demonic force that's coming on, and God is still showing his sovereignty by restraining this demonic force from the ability to kill these people who have not repented. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. So the torment is going to be so horrific. It's going to be so painful that these people will wish they were dead. But there's something else going on here as well. In the Roman culture, suicide was considered honorable. If you got into an uh-oh moment in your life and you messed up big, suicide was considered honorable because it was taking fate into your own hands. And that's what's going on here with these guys too, is they recognize that those who have been marked by God aren't getting the sting, they're getting the sting. And so rather than repent and admit that God is in control, that God is sovereign, they continue to shake their fist at God and say, forget you, God, I want to be the one in control. Forget you, God, I want to call the shots. And the very last bit of rebellion for them would have been suicide. So the ability to kill themselves would have been one last shaking their fist at God, saying, God, you're not sovereign over me. Forget you. It was one at last act of rebellion. And what does God do? He says, nah. Huh. You don't get it. I'm the one in control, is what God is letting them know. This is, once again, God shouting through a microphone, saying, look, repent. The second you repent, I will forgive. The second you turn towards me and say, God, you're God and I'm not. I've sinned against you. 
And the only way I can be saved is through your Son and His atoning work. The second you do that, all this is gone. But instead, these people would rather shake their fist in an act of rebellion called suicide. And yet, God will not allow it. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. In the Roman, uh, this is a reference to Roman war horses. Roman war horses were nasty, were like just nasty things. Uh, they would actually sharpen their hooves to be razor sharp. I'm, I don't know. Are you scared of horses? I get laughed at a lot because I'm scared of horses. But I'm telling you, there are very few animal bites that doctors will not sew up. Horses are one of them. And some of you are like, wait, horses bite? Yes, they bite. Have you seen their teeth? These horses, Roman horses, were trained to bite. So could you imagine being in battle against, first of all, I can't imagine being in battle against a horse. They're big, they're powerful, but these ones have been trained to bite. That's, oh man, and their hooves have been sharpened. So you're going to get kicked by a, by a razor-sharp horse hoof and then it's going to bite you? That's terrifying, right? This isn't like a bunch of ponies. This is horrible. So the, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Now these crowns of gold are actually a reference. Someone who wore a crown of gold uh, was someone in authority. So a crown of gold was a reference to authority. But notice he says, what looked like a crown of gold. And so what he's getting at here is that they want to have authority. They're trying to usurp God's authority, but they really don't have any authority other than what God will let them do. So in all of this, God is still the one with sovereignty. God is still the one who has control. Their faces were like human faces, and their hair like woman's hair. Now you're starting to have nightmares, right? Like this is starting to begin to look like a terrifying creature. We've got a horse with a crown of gold, but also a human face and a woman's hair. But the point is that these demons were trying to look human. And the reason why they're trying to look human is because humans were the apex of God's creation. We are the apex of God's creation. And what these demons are trying to do is by looking like humans, they're trying to usurp God's authority and usurp what God has done by trying to claim themselves as the apex of it all. So they look like humans with, woman's, with women's hair and their teeth like lion's teeth. Lions were known for devouring. They were the most fearsome creature known in Rome. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. This would be a thunderous noise. This would be absolutely terrifying. You would actually feel the earth shaking as these horses rode into battle. They have tails that sting like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. Now, there's a little bit of debate about who this angel of the bottomless pit is. Some would think that it is Satan himself. Some think it's the Antichrist, uh, based off of 2 Thessalonians 2.3, where Paul references the Antichrist as uh, the son of destruction. Some would say it's a human king. Now, I don't think it's Satan, because he's actually mentioned later on by name. 
I don't think it's the Antichrist, once again, because uh, we'll see that character come later on. I don't think it's a human king, because I don't think this is symbolic. Some people thought this was Domitian. I don't think so. I think that this is revealing that, that the demonic forces are organized for one purpose, and that is to torment and destroy humanity, to torment and destroy God's creation. It is their act of rebellion against God. And the point is, Abaddon and Apollyon means destroyer. So whoever this is, we're not entirely sure, but whoever this is, this angel of the bottomless pit is a destroyer. Whatever God has created, this one is trying to destroy as an act of rebellion against God. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still coming. As if that wasn't bad enough. The stings of the scorpion tail just haven't produced it yet. Two more woes. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar. We don't know whose voice this is, but it's around where God is. Saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels. Now, if you remember all the way back in chapter 7 during that interlude, there were four angels who were holding back the four winds, and wind, wind was symbolic for destruction. So these four angels were being told to hold back the destruction that they were going to release. I believe that these four angels are the same four angels. So they are going to release destruction. Now this is, I think, also where we find that these four angels that were holding back that destruction are what we would call demonic forces as well, who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now if you remember, four corners, these four angels were found at the four corners of the earth. That meant simply not that the world was flat, but it was simply a, a Jewish idiom for everywhere. So they, was, they were found all over the earth, but here they are found uh, on the great river Euphrates. Now, most of the uh, foreign armies that would come against Israel had to cross the Euphrates River. And so pretty soon, uh, the Euphrates, uh, an army coming across the Euphrates River just became synonymous with foreign invader. And so that's what this is getting at, is that these are foreign invaders, meaning that the demonic forces are not human, they are not coming from the earth, but they are, are otherworldly foreign invaders, and they are demonic forces that God has finally released. So once again, just as those demonic forces that were at the bottomless pit that God has released, now he is releasing these destructive forces. And once again, the emphasis is on God's sovereignty. That although these forces are doing what they want to do in rebellion, God is using them to, to fulfill his purposes. So he releases the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared. Now this term prepared doesn't mean created for. They had been created for other things. They had been created for the glory of God. And in their rebellion, they didn't want to give glory to God. Little did they know that even if you don't want to give glory to God, glory will be given to God. So God uses them for another purpose. Now, they were prepared, meaning that these, uh, that these angels uh, were made ready for this hour 
this day, this month, the year. This fourfold emphasis on the timing emphasizes God's control in it all. And these angels make themselves ready, these demonic forces make themselves ready because they know that the time will come when they will be released. And so they prepare themselves, they make themselves ready for this releasing. And God, finally, during the right moment, releases them. And they, when they are released, were released to kill a third of mankind. So we're around 8 billion people. We see in the fourth sill about a quarter of the Earth's population, around 2 billion people, are killed due to war, due to our own depravity. And then many more will die in the fourth trumpet with the bitter, or the third trumpet with the bitter uh, water. And now we see another third of humanity die, totaling over half of the world's population dead. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. And literally, it's twice myriads and myriads and times myriads. And a myriad was uh, the, the largest number that, that the Romans knew, but it ends up being about 200 million. Some people think that this is a figurative number. The Roman army had about 175,000. Right now, on the border of Ukraine and Russia, the Russians have about 100, at least that we know of, 120,000 troops. But it's nothing compared to 200 million troops that is released. And then he says, I heard their number, showing us that it is not a figurative thing, but he actually heard this. And once again, showing us that this is something that he received. It was revealed to him. It was given to him for our purpose, or for our good, and for God's glory, so that we could know that this isn't just a bunch of made-up gibberish. He heard it. And this is how I saw the horses. Then he gives us this description. The horses in my vision and those who rode them wore breastplates the color of fire and sapphire and sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's head, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. And then he calls these three fire, smoke, and sapphire plagues. And these plagues are going to kill third, uh, sorry, these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths, and their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. Now, some people take this and they try to look at the modern day warfare, and they try to fit this into modern day warfare, and you can do that. I don't know if it's the, the greatest thing to do, and I'll tell you why, because we don't know if this has even been invented yet. We don't, you know, the, we don't know what it will be in the end. But it won't be anything like the warfare we know of. This will be tribulation warfare. This will be demonic warfare. So I wouldn't read too much into how this is all going to play out. I wouldn't try to fit this into a tank or a jeep or machine guns, but just simply take it that this is going to be something like nothing we have experienced. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, so here we come to the crux of it, right? Here we get to the point. We've got these horrible woes 
unleashed on humanity. And some people might say, well, God is just so mean. How could he do such a thing? But here we come to the crux. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent. And when we see in verse 21, nor did they repent. So we see all the way back with the seals, the the depravity of humanity absolutely revealed, that people know absolutely how disgustingly wicked we can be. If you don't believe it, turn on the news. You'll find very quickly how wicked humanity is, and that is with something restraining us. When the restrainer is gone, our wickedness will be even worse. And so we we see how disgusting we are. We see how much in rebellion we are against God. And then he starts to bring about the judgment. And the judgment is horrible. As if to say, look, you want to die right now? Just imagine being with these demons for the rest of eternity. You think this is bad right now? Just imagine how much worse it's going to get in eternity. And yet, what is the result? To repent means to turn from the direction you're going and head the opposite direction. And so these people are in the direction of rebellion. They're shaking their fist at God. And what do they do? They don't say, oh, wait, God, we made a mistake. We are evil. You are God. They just shake their fist harder. So they don't repent of the works of their hands. They don't repent of the depravity that we've already seen. Nor give up worshiping demons, the very things that are torturing them. Those very things with scorpion tails that are torturing them, they don't give up worshiping them. They continue in that worship. And idols. Idols are anything that replaces God. Anything in your life that has replaced God is an idol. And you might say, well, how do I know if something's an idol in my life? Well, when you're uncomfortable, what do you turn to for comfort? How many of us in uncomfort turn towards our cell phone and the eternal scrolling? It might be an idol. Anything that replaces God is an idol. And he goes on to list gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, and then he gives a description which cannot see or hear or walk. And the whole point that he's getting at is if they can't do these very basic functions of seeing or hearing or walking, how on earth are they going to give you life? You turn towards these things to give you comfort. You turn towards these things to give you life. You turn towards these things to escape the excruciating pain that the demonic forces that you're worshiping is inflicting upon you. And they can't even do the basic functions. And yet you continue to worship them. You continue to replace God with them. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Now, this word for sorceries, I'll just take a couple seconds on it. It's uh, pharmakion, uh, which we get the, the word pharmacy from. So it is interesting, and some people have turned it to mean like drugs. Some people really point toward the pharmaceutical companies. The first century audience probably wouldn't have understood it that way. Most likely would have thought of as magic. 
trying to manipulate the natural surroundings to benefit yourself. So it would actually more exactly be magic, but uh, I'll let you kind of settle that out on your own if you want to twist it towards pharmacies. But anything, once again, where we start putting our trust in over God, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. So here we have it. God reveals to us our depravity. Then he starts to begin to show us what judgment looks like, how absolutely horrid it could be without him. And what's the end result? Worshiping the very things that torment them. How about you? Do you have something that is tormenting you? That yet you, although you hate, continue to turn back to? Is there something in your life that is controlling you that you just don't know how to be free from? There is freedom in Christ. That thing that controls you, that you hate, you will never defeat it on your own. The only way to be free from those things that torment you is to submit your life to Christ. Have you done that? Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We recognize that we have a tendency to be rebellious, to shake our fist at you and say we want it our way. And yet, in your great love towards us, you paid the price to free us from the rebellion that enslaves us. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to turn from rebellion against you and turn towards you in worship. In your name we pray. Amen.